Looked like they couldn't get up the platform fast enough, didn't it? Oh, I was afraid that was going to happen. What a beautiful song. I, I'm always amazed, and I, I was alluding to this earlier with, with some of my peers, how God always pulls everything together. What a beautiful song, wasn't that? Uh, Jesus loves us. That's why we're here, right? Um, the, the prayer, just a, a gorgeous intercession. I can, I can see us kneeling there in front of the Father as we plead and beg, and the Holy Spirit interprets uh, our, our speak. Uh, the lesson of, of obedience from Phyllis, thank you so much for reminding us uh, of what God, one of the things that God requires and wants of us um, our song service, beautiful job there by, by young Abdi and Brandon. Boy, oh boy, you have hit the nail on the head, squarely on the head. There is a fight going on in our lives, and Satan wants us, and God won't let go of us. Praise the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> if I get going too fast, please just raise your hand or say, Something because I've got, I've got so much to, to building on my mind for this whole sermon, and I'll explain more as we go along. But uh, I've asked this almost every time I get up here. But who believes that Jesus is coming soon? Amen. Right, almost every hand in here has gone up. Now, soon is a relative term, right? Uh, when I was a kid, Jesus was coming soon, and boy, oh boy, how long ago that was! I can't even. Uh, I can't even remember, uh, and that's not a good thing. But, um, but the sermons that we've been hearing from the pulpit here from January uh, 7, when Michael first opened our, our new year, I believe that the Lord is trying to get our attention. You know, sometimes to get your attention, somebody's got to grab you and shake you, right? Sometimes they got to slap you. Sometimes you can just hear a still, small voice. But I am absolutely positive from what I've been hearing and especially as I go back and review the sermons that and that's one of the things I did this week listen to some of the sermons that have come before me because God is a thread woven through there and he's trying to get our attention and hopefully that'll be clear here as we go along but uh, as most of you know earlier on in the year and, and actually toward the end of last year Cindy and I were able and privilege to go to India uh, with our oldest daughter, Jordan, and her husband, Abhijit, to help celebrate their wedding. They've been married for about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half now, but the contingency in India, a lot of them weren't able to come over because of COVID. And so we were able to go over there and got to experience the culture and uh, got to celebrate with them. And uh, we went to Abhijit's home city, uh, which is a, a Hyderabad. And I got some slides here. I'm supposed to be showing you folks, but <clears throat> anyway, uh, Hyderabad is is down in the south central portion of India, and it is an absolutely monster city. I had no idea until we got there how big it was, uh, I was told that it's got 
10 million people in it, and it's, it's only the seventh largest city in India. <laughs> so, I mean, you can imagine what I'm talking about. And the, the uh, socioeconomic status of most of Indians is not very high. And so you can imagine the squalor and so on that, that we got to see. Here's uh, uh, Abiji, Cindy, and Jordan uh, in town. And you can see there behind them some of the masses of people and scooters and so on. And so as we're uh, driving from the airport into the city, it's about an hour, give or take, uh, from the airport into the city, don't ask me why, I'm, I'm sitting there minding my own business, looking around, and all of a sudden, the thought pops into my mind. And, you know, if you've ever visited a foreign country, there's so much stuff that's different. It was, it was relatively uh, hot, but apparently from an Indian standard, it wasn't hot at all because this is the winter time over there. And so we were at a balmy 80 degrees. And uh, so, you know, it wasn't horrible, but it was, it was, it was warm. And since we had just left uh, here in, T in Tennessee and it was negative degrees, it was a real welcome pleasure to go to that. But as we're driving along, I'm thinking, and the thought pops into my mind, My next slide here is, yeah, there we go. The Great Commission. Now, why in the world it happened to pop into my mind sitting in a taxi on my way through Hyderabad, India? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I do know, but I don't know. I certainly didn't know at that point in time. But the more I thought about it, the more, and I've shared with some of you folks in here, the more I'm thinking to myself, and let's read it here as a, uh, as, I, as I'm thinking about it, this, this statement comes from who? Jesus says this. Very last thing in Matthew. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 28 of Matthew. Go ye therefore, and say it with me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Last thing Jesus said in the book of Matthew. That's our commission. The things that we're supposed to do as Seventh-day Adventists, as Christians, this is our mantra. So, sitting in that taxi, looking at these people, I'm going, wow. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but India has a population of 1.40, that's with a B, billion people in it. It's exceeded only by China, who has 1.412 billion people in it. And they're expecting this year sometime for India to go past China as the leading population contender in the world. Over 1.412 billion people. Well, here I am sitting in a taxi. I've got 1.4 billion people I need to share Jesus, my friend, with, right? And I am overwhelmed. I, I almost came to tears sitting there watching these people go by me. And, you know, it's not any different here. We, we see people all the time. But over there, we only have 339 million people in the United States of America. <laughs> only 339 million. 
They've got over three times that in, in India. And so, you know, you, you get my picture of that, the overwhelmingness of the commission that Jesus has given to me. And, and I'm, so I'll start computing. Well, if I, start, if I just said hi to, to everyone, I'm not even going to come close. I got 10, 10 million people in Hyderabad. I'm not going to come close to that, right? I, I mean, I'm guessing the whole time we were there, I probably saw 200,000 people maybe. And I didn't even talk to them about Jesus. Not, I mean, I talked to some people, but not, not 200,000. So, Krista asked me three or four weeks ago to talk a little bit about our India trip. And while I was preparing that to uh, speak with them, I you know, tried to make them a little more interesting, just sitting there giving them a travel log. Um, <clears throat> again, I'm overwhelmed by these numbers. And I, and I recognize that right before this verse, verse 19 of Matthew 28, is this verse. And what does verse 18 say? I want you to read it with me. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's how he starts out this commission that he gives us later on, right? So he's not, he's not looking at you and going, Yeah, I want you to take this billion. And uh, Mimi, I want you to take this billion. He doesn't do that. Of course, we already know that. I'm, commonsensical stuff, right? But he says the secret in this text of how this is going to happen, how this is going to occur. All power has been given to him. So well, that gave me a little ease of mind. <clears throat> so I did a little research for, for the guys next door, and I'm going to share it with you today because I, I find it very interesting. This kind of stuff interests me, and I'm sorry if you uh, are not interested by it, but the, the number of one billion... Everybody knows one billion is 1,000 millions. Now, my guess is, if you're like most of us, we don't really comprehend a million either. But 1,000 millions is even more uncomprehendable. I, I use numbers uh, in money because it's pretty easy to translate over. I think most of you guys can get this. So if we took a $1 bill and we laid them side by side end to end, one billion billion dollars would cover four square miles. From side to side, would be four square miles. Uh, if you spent a thousand dollars a day, it would take you two thousand seven hundred and forty years to spend a billion dollars. If you spent five thousand dollars a day, it would take you five hundred years to spend a billion dollars, or if you spent $100,000 a day, it'd take you 25 years to spend a billion dollars. Now, you get a little better idea of what in the world's going on. I know some of you would like to give it a shot. <laughs> if I took those dollar bills and I stacked them on top of each other, one billion of them, it would take 100, and it would measure 167 feet high. That's approximately 30 miles up in the air. If I put them end to end, it would, it would extend 96,900 miles. I think you guys are getting the idea, right? Uh, one billion seconds is 31 years. You can buy about 1,900 average homes for a billion dollars, and a billion hours is approximately 
114,000 years. We are talking a daunting number. God has given us that number. So I, just back to India for a moment. I, I realize that I'm overwhelmed. There's no way in the world that I can do this. I can't do it. But let's take a look at that, at that verse again. It says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he gives us the commission. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Okay? Uh, he also says in Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might, nor by power, but what? By my spirit, by my spirit says the Lord. So we've got a little something else going on in the shake and bake here. Okay. I'm going to just step back from that for a minute, and uh, this is quiz time. Almost every time I've been up here, the last few times I've spoken, I've given you some homework. <laughs> uh, surprise quiz today. Um, this isn't about my, my sermons, by the way. But uh, almost every time Pastor's gotten up here just in the past few sermons, he has started out with one thing he's mentioned it several times and it is anybody know what yeah but he starts out with a question is what is our greatest need our greatest need that's what it's that's what he talks about yeah and then he's he's talking about revival right um okay prior to that uh, back on back on uh january the 7th Michael talked to us a little bit, and one of the things he talked about, uh, with us about was a uh, Roman general that, uh, that came and invaded Jerusalem. Anybody remember? Roman general came in A.D. 70. Oh, man, you guys aren't doing very well in this quiz. Uh, Roman general Titus. Yeah, Titus came, and if you remember, he finished the work that another guy had come to do. But that sermon tells us that we can trust God's word because uh, it talked about the, the prophecy uh, up to the time of trouble that was just around the corner for them. And obviously, we are, know that we are dealing with a time of trouble that's ahead of us uh, now, right? Okay, true or false? Uh, if you do the four things that Jimmy was talking about, um, taking time to pray, looking for Jesus in his word, trusting God to finish working in me and on me and sharing what I'm learning, uh, Jimmy talked about in his sermon, searching for God, You'll not only find him, he will use you. This is it true or false? Come on, this is a 50-50. Okay, I'm starting to worry about you guys a little bit. And then Matt talked about uh, trusting God's word, even when you're sweating blood. And talked about uh, putting the things that we're learning into action. You remember that? And he had an opportunity to do that. Uh, he put this into, into practice uh, when a truck from what department of the state of Tennessee came to visit him? Yeah, it was the animal folks. It was a veterinarian. Somebody reported him. And so he got to bite his, 
his tongue because he he didn't want to react the way he was feeling inside. So I believe that God is giving us these sermons, shaping the tone for the things God wants to share us share with us in 2023. You you, you are there, right? Things are escalating. Uh, they're not going to stay the same as Michael talked about. 2022 is to 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 transition into 2023 is is not going to be a letdown year. We're not going back to what happened before that. It's escalating. It's getting worse. Right? Just open up open up a newspaper, or read your or, or listen to TV. You, you, it won't take you long to figure that out. He's absolutely right about that. Uh, we have assurance from God's word and from the spirit of prophecy that a time of trouble is coming such as never was. Like the time of trouble that was coming that he had talked about there. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. The pastor talked about our greatest need. And they talked about fleshing uh, those greatest need things out. He gave us uh, a list of promises. You remember that? Everybody got one? Yeah, 30 about 30 promises there, one for us to use every day. Reading the Word of God and studying and, and understanding it is vitally important in this time, in this day and age. And uh, if you remember, Mary had a children's story and gave them promises. And I know they did not collaborate. They did not talk about that. But that's God getting our attention, folks. In fact, it's so important that he is talking to our little ones about putting his word in their hearts. Demi and Matt have continued on that vein about fleshing out what this looks like as we put involve God in our lives and let him work, right? We've gotten those things where... But when God repeats himself, we need to pay attention. We need to stand up. We need to perk our ears up and be listening for him because he's coming soon. Okay. I haven't even gotten to the sermon yet. So I've still got a little bit of time. And and I think uh, Randy's probably going to drop the volume down when I, I, if I go a little bit too. (laughs) <laughs> but as pastor has been talking um, about about this revival and this reformation I know that I know the uh, quote that he that he said and I remember the quote and he left something off of it so I'm thinking to myself yes that's what I'm going to preach about today so I sit down I've got my skeleton I'm ready to go with my sermon and the Holy Spirit says no not doing that. I mean, I already, I already had it done. It was, it was done here. It wasn't on paper yet, but I was working on it. And he said no. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a disclaimer right now that uh, what is coming, and it should always be the case from this person speaking here, is coming from the Holy Spirit. This is not from me. Uh, not that I wouldn't love to take credit for it, but... Um, so, if you guys choose to ignore it, you go to sleep, whatever, I want you to understand you're, you're treading on, on very thin ice uh, as far as, as the, the truth that God wants you to hear today. Okay, so let's go back and I'm going to read the, the paragraph uh, that Pastor has used. Uh, 
uh, about revival. It says, and this comes from Selected Messages, Volume 1, verse 120, I mean, uh, page 121, a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work, right? Good stuff. There's, there must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God's not willing to bestow that blessing on us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Now, again, I gave a disclaimer. I, I, if, if I say anything that sounds harsh, uh, I want you to understand that I'm preaching to me. I know everybody always says that, but I promise you that I'm preaching to me. I'm not looking at anybody out here going, we are not prepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father, and I want you to notice the transition. We're talking about revival. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents to get good gifts to their children. But it is our work by confession, by humiliation. And that humiliation means by our humbleness by repentance and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us his blessing. I, you know, if I'm, if I'm sitting there and you're reading a bunch of words up here, my brain typically goes into a fog, but I don't want you to miss this. God is giving us the secret to the Reformation revival that so drastically needs to happen in our lives. A revival of true godliness among us is the most urgent of all our needs. So, it's our work by confession, by humiliation, by repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions which God has promised to grant us blessing. A revival need to be expected, and this is the, this is the sentence out of this paragraph that I would, was going to preach on, a revival need to be expected only in answer to prayer. Only in answer to prayer. So, I'm just taking a wild stab. I, I, you know, again, this is me. I, I am not. I'm, I pray every day, or I try to pray every single day. But I am not begging, and I am not pleading. I am not fasting for this Reformation revival that they're talking about here. I'm not doing that. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, but Mrs. White goes on to say, not only should you be doing, I mean, that's a given right there. That should be happening anyway for our personal salvation. But when we corporately get that as a church and we're unified, that's a game changer. It's a game changer. We're not even on the same uh, playing field. We're not even playing the same game anymore. It's the difference between life and death. Are we serious about life and death? Rachel and Dustin, I'm guessing that both of you would give your lives that quick for that little girl. You, you wouldn't even think about it, right? I mean, it's just a no-brainer. You would do that for her. Life and death is happening here before our very eyes, and we are in charge of it. We're sitting behind the wheel. We are holding those handlebars, whatever it is that you use to move from A to B. Okay, now to the sermon. So open your Bibles with me if you have them to Matthew chapter 25. 
Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1. And as I have done previously, I'm going to do again. Right now, I'm going to give you some homework. Because I'm not going to be able to cover everything that we're going to talk here about here. And I think that as we go a little further, you'll understand more. It's probably best if I don't give you all the information and try to spoon feed you from the front. Not only can I not do it, but it's not going to be effective. Uh, for your homework, um, I want you to take a look at Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5. It's called The Gift of the Spirit. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5. The gift of the Spirit. And the other one is Christ Object Lessons, chapter 29. Christ Object Lessons, chapter 29. To meet the bridegroom is the name of that chapter. To meet the bridegroom. Okay. Whew. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Everybody knows the story, right? It's, it's no, nothing new. We're not uncovering any, any uh, new ground here. Um, five were wise, five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Back in that day, most of the time if you had a lamp and you knew you were going to be out extended, you carry a little bottle that had some spare oil in it just in case. They knew all about this. This isn't any big mystery. I mean, it is to us because we don't do that today. Extra batteries for your flashlight. Back then, they had a little flagon with some extra oil just in case. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And you know the story. The, the foolish said to the wise, hey, let us have some ears. And, and, and they had already filled their bottles and trimmed their lamps, and they didn't have any more to give. Because I'm, you know, as a good Adventist, I'm going to want to share what I've got, right? You need, I'm going to give. They, these guys couldn't give. They'd already used it. It was not available. Not so, in verse 9, not so, lest there be enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And of course, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And you guys know the rest of the story. They weren't allowed in. Isn't it yeah, so many questions about this whole story, but isn't it odd that the bridegroom just happens to come when these guys are gone? I mean, it said that everybody was asleep, all ten of them, right? All of them were asleep. Nobody's sleeping, hopefully. All of them were asleep. That means, and we'll, we'll talk about this here in a second, but these people represent people who have a relationship with the Lord. All ten of them. Not nine of them. Not five of them. Not one of them. All ten of them have a relationship with the Lord. It's not just any old buddy. We're not talking about good people and bad people. Goats and the, and the sheep. We're not talking about that here. We're talking about people who have a relationship with the Lord and are looking for Him to come. 
And it just so happens that God extends his coming. And we're told elsewhere in Mrs. White's writings that he does that to give us a chance to get ready. So it's not, he's not just being whimsical in his timing. Not, not just being whimsical. So these guys leave. While they leave, sure enough, the bridegroom comes. The two class of watchers. This is from, uh, this is from some of your homework. So hopefully it'll be familiar when you read it again. Two classes of watchers represent the two classes who profess to be waiting for the Lord. They're called virgins because they profess a pure faith. What does the lamp represent? Now, the lamp represents the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is the lamp. But what is the oil? I heard it earlier. That's right. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So let me read this to you. And again, please do not get bogged down with the words that are coming from the pulpit. This comes from Acts of the Apostles, page 50. The lapse of time has brought no change in Christ's parting promise to send the Holy Spirit. You remember uh, in some of your prior homework where I'd given you to read in the book of John, Jesus talks to these guys about uh, all kinds of things, but one of the things he talks about is sending his spirit after he leaves because when his spirit comes, they'll do even more and greater things than he did. You guys remember that? It's coming back to you? Okay, so his parting promise to send the uh, Holy Spirit as his representative is not be- the lapse of time has wrought no change in, in God's, in Christ's parting promise. It's not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace do not flow earthward toward men. Do I need to repeat that or did you get it the first time? It's not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace don't flow toward men, earthward toward men. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be, it is because the promise is not appreciated as it should be. If all were willing, these are, these are harsh sentences, if all were willing, all would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I tell you, I'm glad I'm not preaching in front of a mirror because I would probably walk off the stage this, this is not any truer of anybody that I know than, than of me. And I'm asking for the Holy Spirit, but apparently what is here isn't, isn't a true revival state that, that needs, begs, pleads, wants it so much that I'm willing to do anything to get it. I'm not there. Let me go on. All would be filled with the Spirit. Wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of, there is seen spiritual drought. This goes right along with what uh, Brandon said. Spiritual darkness, spiritual, spiritual declension, and death. Yeah, there's a battle going on up here. There's tug of war. 
And wherever the Holy Spirit is little thought of, guess what side is winning? Whenever minor matters oh man, whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power, which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church. I'm going to repeat, I got to repeat that one again. Whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church. Do we want growth and prosperity here in Tullahoma? Whenever minor matters occupy our attention, which would bring all other blessings in his train, it says, whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church, which brings all other blessings in its train. And it's trained behind it. When we have the Holy Spirit first, all the rest of the blessings come along with it. It's a natural consequence of what happens. It would bring all the rest of the blessings in its train. It's lacking, though offered in infinite plenitude. It's God's holding his hand out there. I haven't even gotten to the harsh stuff yet. I'm going to finish on this. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I think you guys are getting the picture. Um, but I, I need to share this, and, and then we'll, we'll close. In the parable, all the ten virgins went out to meet the bridegroom. All of them had lamps. All of them had vessels of oil for, for the oil. And for a time, there was seen no difference between both of them. Right? What time is that that is occurring in the parable. You know, uh, when you'll read about it in, in, if you read Christ's object lessons, but Jesus told the story while he was sitting there watching a bridal party waiting for this event to occur. And of course, you know, Jesus always used those things that were going on around him to tell them things that they needed to know for their spiritual life. It's just a beautiful story, but it was happening right in front of them. Now, he didn't, they didn't stay there until midnight to find out what was going on, but all the parts were in place. So Jesus is looking at them, and all of these guys go out with their uh, vessels. For a time, there's no difference between them, right? So with the church, so with the church that lives just before Christ's second coming. Anybody got any idea who that may be? Yeah. Yeah. Let's take this home here. All, and as I look in my audience, I'm, this is true, all have a knowledge of the scriptures. All have heard the message of Christ's near approach and confidently expect his appearing. That us? Am I describing somebody else? That's us, right? But as the parable, so it is now. A time of waiting intervenes. Are we in a time of waiting? There have been... Mrs. White wrote most of this stuff way back in the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, we've been waiting. We've been waiting too long. We've been waiting beyond God's normal measure of waiting. He's extending this because he doesn't want anybody to perish. A time of waiting intervenes. Faith is tried. And when the cry is heard, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Many are unready. They have no oil in their vessels with their lamps. They are destitute of the Holy Spirit. 
Again, we're talking about people who are waiting for Jesus to come. Okay, this is the crunch part. So, get ready for it. Without the Spirit, without the Spirit of God, without the Spirit of God, a knowledge of His Word is of no avail. <laughs> Did you hear that? Are you, are you learning those texts that Pastor gave us? Well, they're no good to you if you're not doing it with the Holy Spirit. You should never open this book without asking for the Holy Spirit. If you do, you're asking for trouble. If you're working for God's cause, the Holy Spirit is the power behind what's going to happen. Get that. Don't miss it. Without the Spirit of God, a knowledge of His Word is of no avail. The theory of truth. I'm a big truth guy. There's absolute truth out there. And we, as as Seventh-day Adventists, I believe we have that. Absolute truth. The theory of truth unaccompanied by the Holy Spirit cannot quicken the soul or sanctify the heart. One may be familiar with the commands and the promises in the Bible, but unless the Spirit of God sets the truth home, the character will not be transformed. We've got ten people there that have the same mindset. They're waiting for Jesus to come, but only five of them get it. Only five of them sincerely plead, beg, fast, whatever it takes to get that spirit. Only five of them. That's 50%. In my math class, only 50, and I'm not saying that 50% here is going to go and 50% isn't, isn't going to go. I don't have any idea about that. I'm not making that judgment. I'm looking in the mirror here and I'm hearing, I want to be in that five, in, in that five over there that has the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. Well, praise the Lord that, that He has given us this information, this knowledge, but let's don't sit on it. This right here is the information that people need so they can get into that five, that, 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 that 50%. As I'm watching those people go by uh, sitting in that taxi, the only way that's going to happen is with the Spirit. You, have you noticed a common thread here in what I'm talking about? The difference in what's going to happen in our church, in our lives, in the world around us is not up to us. We can do nothing without the Spirit. Let's take that to heart. I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking while I'm preparing this thing, I, I like an uplifting message. I don't want to you know, feel like people are beating me down. But the, the, the news is that this is available to us. That's the good news. <laughs> Man, there, better news hasn't been produced for us. Because this, and it said earlier on, I read the text, I mean the quote, it said, the Lord is just waiting to give it to you. He wants to give it to us. Without the enlightenment of the Spirit, men will not be able to distinguish truth from error, and they will fall under the masterful temptation of Satan. The last thing that I wrote, that I have down here, is that the class represented by the foolish virgins... The class represented by the foolish virgins were not hypocrites. This came from Christ Object Lessons. These people were not hypocritical. They're not sitting in that pew living one way and, and showing another way outward, right? That isn't what they were doing. These were sincere people. 
but they weren't sincere down here. They hadn't taken that Holy Spirit and begged and pleaded for Him to change them. And when that happens, Reformation and revival cannot be stopped. You can't stop it. We've had Reformation and revivals going on in history for a long time. And when they happen, you know, I've, I've talked here from the pulpit before about Evan Roberts, a young 13-year-old that had a huge, powerful faith, and he asked God for 100,000 souls to be one to him. And when that happened, it was more than 100,000. The police didn't have anything to do. The, the horses didn't have any idea where to go because they didn't recognize the kind language that these guys were using. The cussing and stuff was gone. They were in churches celebrating and worshiping God till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning after all day long. They couldn't stop when the Holy Spirit does that. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's all over but the crying. God's already, Jesus has already won this battle. The war is over for us if we put ourselves on the right side. 